0: This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, thrilled today to be joined by a brilliant orthopedic surgeon, one of my favorite people, Dr. Phil Davidson. Uh, Dr. Davidson is going to discuss himself, his career. Uh, He's been a, you know, a a great practice. He's also been a team physician for uh, great NHL teams and I'm sure other teams. Uh, He's also worked in sort of the instead of the device and some of the other types of areas, just a really bright and good guy. Dr. can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? And We're going to talk about some of the most exciting things you're doing currently and, and so forth. Phil?
1: Well, first of all, Scott, thanks for inviting me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. You and know, I have known a other for of years and I've watched your career and your endeavor blossom, and I think mine has, to some extent, maybe not as, as illustrious as yours, but I'm, I'm glad to be able to share and talk about it. So I guess um, I'm a practicing orthopedic surgeon. When you and I met, I was practicing in Florida. And really, that was the first half of my career I was in Florida. Um, I had done a lot of uh, team care. I also served as a, in the United States Naval Reserve Medical Corps. I was doing work for the Navy. Um, and I was doing a lot of uh, what I would say early career building. Um, and one of the really important decisions I made early in my career that I think has led to uh, what, looking back now, has been very satisfying, was to intentionally balance my career. I'm lucky I have a great partner in life. My wife's name is Ruth, and she's she's really an amazing partner who helps keep me balanced and share important insights. And together with her, we really kind of fashioned a family life that allowed me to do my surgical career, to engage in meaningful patient care, but to do so in what I would describe as a balanced way. Um, Early, very early in my career, the first weeks of my time in private practice, I began to do some business development. I didn't even know it was business development at the time, but really some assessment of instrumentation and technique and kind of working on how do we make orthopedics better for the orthopedic community. At the same time, I also committed watching some of my peers um, really kind of burn out. I said, well, let me let me commit to family time. And I structured very intentional family time that To this day, my kids now, I have three sons that are all around the age of 30. They are very grateful and and admire this. And we really engaged in a lot of recreation, meaningful recreation, uh, biking and skiing and boating. And and then lastly, um, I'm one of these people who likes to have a lot of balls in the air. I think some others might be driven crazy by it, but me, I like to do different things. And to round out my professional career, I was involved in education and research. And uh, from private practice to do research is really a a commitment to able to do that, and that afforded me the opportunity to engage with colleagues in terms of education. So that's a bit about my career, certainly the the intentional build of it. And as I look back what i'm I'm proud and pleased with that.
0: and And I'll ask you one facetious question. and I don't want to ask you a serious question. I, I love how you've built your career in a way that has the different aspects of it, the different buckets of it including the time for recreation and family that you so thrive on. I guess the important question, three sons, all in the late 20s to 30s and so forth, who's the best skier of the crew? Did they grow up enough in the Park City area, that area of the world, to become great skiers, and who's the best of the, of the group?
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's kind of a trap. I'm not going to fall into that, Scott. I hope my son's listening to this podcast. But nonetheless, what's happened is that when we, be, when we moved to Park City, which was halfway through my career, about 2008, moved to park city i was an avid skier from childhood and none of them had skied very much they were florida boys uh one was starting college one was starting high school and the other was going off to europe for high school so it was a transition for the davidson family and all three of them would hang with dad skiing and now we've gotten to the point where all three of them are stronger skiers than dad so i'm very pleased about that but I, i i gotta shout out one of my sons who's just avid crazy for skiing zach who never misses an opportunity to go. I think the other boys love it and they love going with dad and they love going as a family. But my oldest son, Zach, I think this season, he works remotely. He's skied more than 30 days at a dozen different resorts. He's having a great ski season. Just phenomenal. And in this ski season, a ski season
0: with the snow has been challenging 30 days plus was fantastic. Talk about building the career intentionally so that you got this sort of balance of career that you wanted. I mean, there are so many guys that do what you do, that just want to do as many knees as they can a year, as many arthroscopies as they can as a year. Talk about how that's a prescription for burnout for many. I mean, not for everybody, but for many. And this balanced career of interest has basically prolonged and made your career much more self-actualizing. Can you talk about that and how you've approached it just a little bit more in more depth?
1: Yeah, I guess a couple of things happened early in my career. I was working in Florida, a Tampa Bay orthopedic Specialists, a clinic that together with some great partners I'd formed. in the late 90s. Anyway, it became apparent to me that two things were happening in clinical medicine that were really dispiriting. The first was a race to the bottom for pay, meaning that, and at that time, and uh, we can name names here, uh, I think the statute of limitations has run out, but I think it was Humana was paying substantially less than Medicaid for orthopedic procedures. And it appeared to me that that really just chasing volume and getting paid what I felt was an unfairly low pay for certain procedures was kind of a loser's game. And so I made the decision early on that I would continually uh, drop, let's say, in this instance, Humana as a low-cost payer or low payer, uh, opening up time to do other things, whether that be at that time in my life, I was attending high school and collegiate athletic events as a team physician, I spent, uh, we varied the day from year to year, but I used to start work late one day each week and take my boys to breakfast before school. Um, So I decided that rather than chase the bottom on fees, I would express my life satisfactorily in other ways. So that was one thing. And the other uh, thing that I found about clinical medicine that became progressively negative, let's say, was the whole imposition of utilization review hassles. You know, the example was if I wanted to get an MRI scan to facilitate surgical planning for, let's say, a complicated shoulder reconstruction. And to obtain that was such a hassle. You know, the, the peer-to-peer review, which is kind of a painful phrase because it wasn't peer-to-peer. It was me speaking to some person in an office building in Oklahoma City that didn't have a really good fund of knowledge. These barriers were being erected to clinical medicine. I was like, I only have one left to live of my life fighting those things. I, I saw that could be really draining. So I intentionally redirected my energies and my effort and diversified my career, if you will, um, which very isn't early that, isn't on. Isn't that
0: phenomenal? And, it, and, it, and, and from a financial standpoint, I know it's worked out great either way. Do you feel like this sort of marginal give at the time to pursue a little bit less surgery, a little bit less everything, but still have a very thriving practice? Because you've got a great practice. Was worth the Uh, offset, the the offset to build the life you wanted
1: to build. The offset in terms of finances, you mean? At least originally, yes. Yeah, well, I guess I had confidence that I could do consulting type work, and in fact, I did consulting work through medical devices and biologics and an array of consultings. When I moved from Florida, I left the practice in Florida. I moved to Utah literally with no patients and no practice um, and made a living for a couple of years doing consulting and then gradually built a practice here based in Park City and Salt Lake. Um, But I think that I was confident because I had demonstrated the ability to work with industry to to coalesce interests and to gather surgeons to do meaningful work, whether it be uh, research or um, product building sales training, the things that orthopedic surgeons can do with industry. Um, And that's been a very important part of my career, independent of clinical medicine, per se. But but don't you think
0: like that trade-off that you made originally ended up freeing up your mind, your creativity, it took a lot of guts to do what you did, but it's ultimately worked out just well, hasn't it? I mean, it's ultimately worked out very well, and you're thrilled you made that choice.
1: Yeah, it's true, and I am thrilled. you know the 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 manifestation currently is and I know you saw this um, press release I've recently been named the medical director of a a company out of Israel called Arcuro which does meniscal repair product called the Super Bowl and I'm just so excited to have been invited on this project because um, it's a device that really is a big leap forward in meniscus repair there's I've identified six push points of why all inside meniscus repair is either difficult to to do or has a high failure rate. And this device uh, and these inventors, I was not part of the inventing team. They brought me on later in the the product cycle. Um, But this device has answered the six push points to this procedure. And I'm just really excited about it and helping them roll that out and designing scientific studies. I'm, I'm so enthusiastic. You know, I'm I'm 60 years old in the second half of my career, well into the second half of my career, and I'm excited like it's a new day, uh, for particularly in this project, as well as some other things I'm doing. And talk about those few things
0: that you're you you've had this great career. I mean, I I, I love your career quite frankly. And I love the fact that you had the audacity, the guts, the, the wherewithal to move from Florida to where you wanted to live, to rebuild the practice, rebuild the professional life and so forth. I mean, what a what a magnificent testament to sort of resilience and determination to do what you wanted to do and build the career you wanted to build. I think that's so important for everybody, physicians included, but but everybody, healthcare providers of all sorts, but everybody, this ability to sort of pivot and travel different things and find things exciting and so forth. You're very excited about what you're doing with Arcaro. Talk about two or three of the things, Dr. Davidson, that you're most excited about as you move into the second half of your career. You, you said that you're already past, but but well into the second half. But I don't believe that. But talk about ah. sort of what, what are, What's most interesting today? What what are, what are the projects? This and what else are you doing that you're most very excited about?
1: Well, um, several years together with some friends, and, and that's important. You know, I started a project to answer an unmet need. The um, the procedure stabilizing the acromioclavicular joint when it dislocates or when the clavicle fractures and the ligaments are compromised, it's one of those situations in medicine where there's so many different solutions described that you know no one's got the answer. So getting together with friends, in this case, it was Nat Cohen and Steve Golden. Nat's an orthopedic surgeon of my generation, and Steve's an engineer we've worked with collectively, and we were able to whiteboard a problem that our orthopedic community had not solved, and come up now five years later, we now have about 80 patients implanted. We now have three-year results in a significant number. And essentially, we've solved a previously unsolved problem. And to do so with friends in a way that creates value for our investors in the company, a way that creates excitement in the orthopedic community at large, which is very gratifying. Um, so that's a project that I've been working on that I've really loved. And then, I guess, I also started a, a series of clinics with my wife, Ruth, um, we saw that patients that were injured in accidents were having difficulty in gaining access to care. And we started a clinic in Salt Lake, a satellite in Park City, now in Seattle and in Linwood, Washington, where we're able to provide comprehensive and coordinate healthcare to these accident victims. And that's been really gratifying. So starting businesses has been a recurring theme. And to do so with people that I respect and like has really made it been a pleasure. Phenomenal. And
0: talk for a second about You're an expert skier. I'm more of an average skier. Your best (laughs) advice for getting better as a skier in the mid-50s to late 50s, what's the best advice? Do you have to absolutely take lessons to do this? Does the equipment matter? What's your best advice on becoming a better skier at this point in life?
1: Well, I would say that, like so many things, you have to step back for one moment. And the first thing is to avoid injury, right? So even if you're a blue skier, and most people at Deer Valley are probably blue skiers, you need to warm up a little bit before You need, you can't come to skiing from zero fitness and then the morning of skiing, you're tight, you're at altitude, you had alcohol the night before. You have to come to skiing with a slightly healthy perspective. You have to have a little bit of conditioning the day of, you have to do some warming up and that can help prevent injury. And then in terms of the equipment, I would encourage people rather than to haul their 15-year-old skis, um... Not to travel with their skis, but rather to rent skis, because you can get skis that are ideally tuned, that are optimum for the conditions. You know, here in Utah, we have highly variable conditions. Usually they have good snow. This year has been a light light snow year. But for example, if it's powder, you want wide skis. If it's packed powder, you want to have more narrow skis. You want to get good equipment. And then, of course, taking some lessons makes all the difference in the world. But um, to start skiing as an adult, is hard. Uh, to start skiing as a child, which is how I started, is much easier. So anyway, a few, a few thoughts about skiing. No, it's helpful.
0: I'm one of these people that started as an adult versus a kid. I have got all the challenges of being a you know a poor middle aged athlete who has uh, started golfing as a in my late 40s started skiing earlier than that, but very late. So it's very tough on my egocentricity, my ability to do well. But I'm trying to get better, Dr. Davidson. Anyway. Well, a pleasure to visit with you. I, I want to have you back on to talk more about our hero and some of these other business ventures that you're doing, some of these other interests. I find it fascinating how you've built your career in life. So thank you so much for taking the time with the Stay in the Packers Healthcare podcast. Always just great to visit with you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to catch up with you, Scott, and I hope to see you out here in Utah either for ski or golf season. We hope to. Phenomenal. Thank you, sir. Have a great day.